0: We welcome you to the 2021 Eschatology Series, a series that unfolds the power of ancient prophecies. Our series is based on the book of Revelation. Let's get started.
1: Thy hands hath made I see the stars I hear the rolling thunders Thy power throughout the universe displayed Then sings my soul, my Savior God to Thee How great Thou art, how great Thou art. Then sings my soul, my Saviour God, to Thee. How great Thou art, how great Thou art.
2: And when I think God, his son not sparing, sent him to die. I scarce can take it in. That on that cross, my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. Then sings my soul. My savior God to thee. How great thou art. How great thou art. Then saints my soul. Joy shall of... Then sings my soul, my say
0: Welcome to our eschatology series, Unfolding the Power of Prophecy. We're on number 19 in the book of Revelation. You know what that means. Our new series will begin soon. It's called the Mystery of Ancient Prophecies. Old Testament coming to life in modern times. We hope that you stay with us not only through the remainder of our revelation study but as we begin our new series extracting the eschatological elements in the Old Testament. As for today we're on number 64. It's titled The Father Chooses the Bride for His Son. This is not a popular idea particularly in our society today, to have our fathers pick bridal members for our sons. Somewhere throughout the original Hebrew into the modern Hebrew, this Hebrewic tradition faded into governing societies. Now the only people that seem to understand the importance of a father picking a bridal member for his son or the Orthodox Jews. They understand exactly what we're going to be talking about today. Divorce is as common as changing your shoes. People today seem to be so focused on being happy that they don't work through the reconciliation issues that come with most marriages. That's too bad, though. The the enduring-to-the-end scripture that is mentioned throughout the New Testament directly relates to the issue of the Bride of Jesus Christ. Imagine for a moment that Jesus was not faithful in enduring-to-the-end with us. Would we expect him to divorce us because of our unfaithfulness? I hope not. This will be a topic that will challenge most believers to the core. At least that has been my experience in discipling couples in my office. Let's take a moment and read our scripture for today. This is out of Revelation chapter 19 verses 6 through 10. It says, Then I heard something like, The voice of a great multitude. And like the sound of many waters, and like the sound of mighty pearls of thunder, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and and clean for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, Right, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb, and he said to me, These are true words of God. Then I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, Do not do that I am a fellow servant of yours. And your brethren, who hold the testimony of Jesus, worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. It is a sad thing to realize that most quote-unquote Christians have no clue what this passage is saying. The fact is that the entire process of the Old Testament and the New Testament and now being explained to us in the book of Revelation, is all about the father picking the bride for his son and preparing her for this passage. Let's take a look at the father choosing his bride. Even though it is not a popular idea today, Hebrew tradition reveals the groom's father played a significant role in picking the bride for his son. That is not only the case with God the Father and Jesus Christ his son, but this was tradition that God required of the Hebrew people. The Father looked for economic, social, and spiritual qualities and a pure bloodline. These elements were important for the Father because these qualities would preserve the Father's investments. It took the wisdom of a father to look through the son's desires of the flesh to marry and assist him in finding a bride who would be suitable as a helpmate and life giver. Keep in mind that all marriages are for the purpose of the lineage before them. It helps preserve the spiritual beliefs as well as the investment that the father made in for the generations the father was simply interested in protecting his investment for his son and that his son would pass this down to his eldest son a wise father understood that a woman could take all that away in a very short period since the purpose of a father's life was to set up the next generation to manage his inheritance Of course, that is the rewards for his own investment in labor. He made sure his son had a wife who would not squander it. And if you want to read more about that, check out Exodus chapter 34, verse 16. For it was the father's responsibility to form his son's future. Then, teach him how to do the same with his son's. We call it the spiritual generation inheritance, while most people keep it locked up in the walls of physical inheritance. Another significant point is a young man typically looked at the outward beauty of a woman as their primary qualifications to marry her, while the father looked at the inward beauty. It took those two elements together to get a qualified bride. Well, because young men lack experience, they tend to look at a woman externally. Older men, men of wisdom, understand that external beauty quickly fades away. The man is left with the inward woman, and many times that wasn't much. It is why the son had to complete his trust in his father, and to assist him in doing the picking. Well, let it be known that a son had the right to look and desire, but the father is the one who did the choosing. Judges 14 verse 2 shows us, So he came back and told his father and mother, I saw a woman in Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines, Now, therefore, get her for me as a wife. The simple point here is that the son knew he could not obtain the woman independently. It required the father to work the deal for him. Well, let's first take a look at the definition of betrothed. Betrothed derives from the word troth, or the Hebrew word of truth. The literal meaning here is to be engaged in troth. This explains the critical reason why the parents work diligently in negotiations of dowry. To discover the truth of the groom, his family, the bride, and her family. When you are married, you marry tribes. And tribes have traditions and beliefs that affected the couple for generations to come. Another critical factor is once you were betrothed, according to Hebrew law, you were sealed for marriage. That means if you decided to end the relationship during the engagement, you would have to go through the divorce process. In the story of Joseph getting ready to send her, Mary, away because of her pregnancy of Jesus, God had to send an angel to tell Joseph it was a supernatural conception by God. So the term put her away, if you get into the Greek codex of that passage, you'll discover it is the same word used to divorce her. So this great mystery is, once you're engaged to someone, you have started the marriage process. The reason why you had to wait one year before there was a marriage supper, which binds the couple together by the fathers, is because they had to wait to make sure she was pure. Matthew through 20 says, Now the birth of Jesus was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying this, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. The parallel is this. When Jesus accepted us for salvation, he agreed to become engaged or betrothed to us. The actual wedding has not occurred yet. This is what the second coming of Christ is for. Even more meticulously, the rapture to come and get his bride. But after the bride is raptured up, we still remain in waiting. Until Jesus comes in his second coming, permanently punishes Satan, his triune, and all those who followed him. Once all that has been completed, there will be a marriage supper. And that is what our passage is talking about today. During the engagement phase with Christ is us right now living on earth. Christ is waiting to see who endures to the end. What bridal members who are engaged keep oil in their lamps? He is cleaning us up and preparing us for his wedding. Now Ephesians 5.27 says that he might present to himself the church in all of her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. Our betrothment period with Christ is for the working out of our salvation, which you clearly can read about in Philippians 2.12. Here's the point. The engagement period is a promise by one's truth to fulfill the process of preparing for marriage. This usually took place a year or more before marriage. From the time of betrothal, the woman was regarded as the lawful wife of the man to whom she was betrothed. Get your pencil out and write down these passages and check them out. Deuteronomy 28, verse 30, Judges 14 verse 2, and then again in verse 8, Matthew chapter 1, 18 through 21. This idea is figuratively representative of the spiritual connection between God and his people, and that's right out of Hosea chapter 2, verses 19 through 20. Now in this great parable of the prodigal wife, Hosea uses betrothal as the symbol of God the Father and how he pledged of his love and favor to Israel. Since we're grafted into the Hebrew Jewish bloodline, this principle also applies to us. Check out Romans eleven twenty three. You'll find the facts. At the point of Hosea's betrothal engagement to Gomer. She was a whore, an unclean woman who gives herself away to men of the covenant. Like Gomer, we too are a mess. Many of us act like whores. I know that sounds rather blunt, but it is true. So be in the mess that we are when Christ decides to betroth himself to us. It becomes one of the greatest miracles stated in the Bible throughout history. However, good news is that he takes the engagement period to clean us up by washing us through and with his own blood, with the word, and by releasing the Holy Spirit within us to fulfill the mandates of his Father. Let's take a couple moments and review the negotiations of betrothal. Genesis 34 verses 6 through 17 is profound. This passage is one of the clearest Hebrew pictures of the betrothal process. The situation here is Prince Shechem lusted after one of Jacob's daughters, Dinah. He took her to the field and had sex with her. Her protective brothers found out about it. And now we have the betrothal process. Note here, though, even though the situation here is grim, the process of engagement is quite clear. It all starts with a conference, as such, between the parental parties. As in the case with Hammer, the father of Shechem, son of lust, and Jacob, the father of Dinah, the parents on both sides are the principles of authority in the negotiation. The sons of Jacob, being brothers of the injured damsel, are present according to custom. The actions were to check out any deeds contrary to sanctity, which must be characterized by God's holy people. Hammer makes his... Restitution proposal. He proposes a political alliance or merger of the two tribes to be sealed and affected by intermarriage. He offers to make them joint possessors of the soil and the rights of dwelling, trading, and acquiring property. Shechem now speaks with respect and sincerity. He offers any dowry, bridal presents, and gifts to the mother and brothers of the bride. It must be acknowledged that the father and the son were inclined to make whatever amends they could for the grievous offense that had been committed. The sons of Jacob answered as a representative of the father, and they could respond with the following conditions of giving Jacob's daughter over to Shechem. They said that they could not intermarry with the uncircumcised, only on the condition that every male is circumcised will they consent. Read this story in Genesis 34, particularly in verses 14 and 15. On these terms, the father and son promised to become one people, with the bride's Hebrew race and traditions. Even though Jacob's sons used this dowry to kill Shechem and his people, the negotiation process reveals the traditions of engagement. Since the prize for Shechem's bride was death, he just didn't realize at the time, it is amazing how one of the most fleshly and deceptive stories in the Bible reveals the way of God the Father. The Hebrew Traditions God the father of the son to be betrothed had to negotiate with the father of lies to retain the bride for his son. Think about that. The price was his son's life. Like Hosea, he had to come and take on the sins of the bride-to-be. Take the punishment for those sins then open his arms for engagement. He again, like Hosea, had to put up with the betrothed bride who was still a whore, going back to her sins of preference until the day of sanctification. Well, if you know the story of Hosea, you know that Gomer makes several trips back to her old lifestyle, very much like Christians of today. God required Hosea and Christ to be the ones responsible for the cost of engagement while releasing the betrothed or the bride-to-be from the consequences of her actions. God knows that the full price of dowry falls on the groom because he is the one who set the rules of engagement. In this case, the dowry was death for Jesus. Secondly, he was responsible for making sure the bride was ready for the wedding day. Once the bride was purified and ready, he would come for her. In our case, that is the rapture first, the point of removal of the bridal members, and the great wedding feast, which was the covenant made by God the Father in Heaven to unite Jesus Christ with his bride. I cannot tell you how much fun it is to explore the laws, customs, and manners of Hebrew marriage. It is one of my favorite things to do. As we learned earlier, the engagement period for the Hebrew was for one full year. When the year had passed in the room, normally an addition unto the father's house prepared by the groom, As soon as it was finished, the groom would come for his bride, typically in the middle of the night. Neither the bride nor her parents were privy to either the day nor the hour. She had to be ready at all times. The reason why this needed to be a surprise visit is because sin tends to cause people to manipulate and fake it until they make it. The groom would announce to his father that he had finished his work. The father would inspect the work, give the approval, and the son would go to get his bride. The groom's parents would stay behind to prepare for the arrival of their son and his bride. The groom would approach the home of the bride and call her out. The bride's father had to submit to the hour of and grant his daughter the right of passage to her husband. The bride would come to the door dressed in her wedding attire and veil. At this point the veil was taken off and laid on the shoulder of the bridegroom. And this declaration was made. Quote, The government shall be upon his shoulder. Remembering that the Hebrew tradition, a patriarch's authority was the same as government. The groom now accepted the responsibility of his new little kingdom. Now this procession would be set out from the bride's home to the place the groom had prepared for his new little kingdom. The pathway to their new home would be lit with oil lamps held by wedding guests. In the story told by Jesus, the bride and groom were later than expected. So the oil in the lamps began to run low. Only those who had brought a reserve flask of oil were able to refill their lamps and welcome the bride and groom. Read that in Matthew 25 verses 1 through 13. There was singing and music along the way. Even in Jeremiah 16.9 it shares this profound truth. And sometimes the bride herself would join in the dancing because of her excitement of the hour. God makes a big deal about the wedding process. He makes a big deal about the engagement process. And he certainly makes a big deal about choosing the right woman. Now let's take a look at Jesus, the bridegroom. Matthew 25 verse 1 clearly points this out. Then the kingdom of heaven will be comparable to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. The coming of Christ, which is to receive his people to himself, is often represented by the likeness of marriage, the church representing his spouse or bride. The marriage relationship is the most tender, firm, and enduring of any known on earth. And on this account, it rightfully represents the union of believers to Christ. Get that pencil ready again. Write down Matthew chapter 9 verse 15. John chapter 3 verse 29. Revelation chapter 19 verse 7. And then again in chapter 21 verse 9. And finally, in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 32. Read, study, discover how profound God uses the marriage institution as a clear picture of what is taking place in the book of Revelation. In conclusion, Ten Virgins These virgins, without question, represent the church. Virgin is the name given because it is pure and holy. According to 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 2, these virgins took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. The lamps used on such an occasion were torches. These were made by winding up rags around pieces of iron or pottery, sometimes hollowed out to contain oil and fastening wood to the handles. These torches were dipped in oil and gave out a lot of light. Marriage ceremonies in the East were conducted with great ritual and seriousness. Friends attend for both the bride and the bridegroom. The engaged or betrothed were escorted in a seat carried on poles by four or more persons. After the marriage ceremony, there was a feast for seven days. This feast was celebrated in the father of the bride's house. At the end of that time, the bridegroom escorted the bride, with great pageantry and splendor, to the home he had prepared for her during the engagement. How cool is that? Coming up next in number 65, we're going to actually talk about Jesus comes for his bride. Folks, that's called the rapture. As mentioned earlier, the bridegroom came for his bride at the most unexpected time of day. As I said before, usually late at night. The primary reason for this was soon as the bridegroom finished the addition onto his father's house, he came for his bride. In modern times, we would call this brood or selfish. In the days and times of God, it was by law. When the work was finished, the groom would come for his bride at that very moment. This is why we are to be expecting Jesus Christ to come rapture us off of this defiled earth and set us in waiting final days before the great wedding feast. We hope that you decide to join us for number 65, Jesus Comes for His Bride. We have some very fun facts to reveal to you about the holy marriage and its institution. Until next time.